Okay, uh, it's uh, 20 till, which is kind of the time we've uh, normally been starting. So before we jump into Bible class today, we've got a couple of public service announcements for you. Uh, the first here is from Linda Silverberg. Uh, this week, I'm coming to call your attention to the blue paper uh, in your in your notes. It, Juanita has made the, the list of needs at the food co-op at the seminary into a very nice shopping list. It's right on here, and the, and the director of the food co-op, uh, Catherine Rittner, is going to be here to speak to us about this time next Sunday. She will be able to take back some things, that, so if you're out shopping and you want to bring in donations already, that's good. She can take back a lot of things. She said she'd drive her minivan. Yes, Chuck. Where what? Placed in the grocery cart? Uh-huh. Yes, Juanita made a, a very nice sign on it. So, uh, And if we have too many things, we'll arrange another place to, to put them, and she'll take back what she what she can at first and will collect through through March up there. Excellent. Thank you very much, Linda. So good time for spring cleaning. Um, so as you have any of those items, and if they're large or bulky, um, outside of the small stuff, just call the church office. Uh, the the <coughs> My wife and I and our son, Malachi was born... Oh boy, second year, correct? December of our second year at seminary. And we were married well before I started seminary, probably four, four years. And then Matthias was born fourth year. And so each of our seminaries has uh, what's known as a food bank and uh, kind of a uh, resell it shop, uh, which you can uh, purchase, buy, acquire, uh, whatever you need, household furnishings, clothes. Uh, we were given a weekly allotment for food, uh, which was a wonderful gift. You know, all the seminarians at the seminary, um, they're pretty much going to school full-time, and that's what we want them to do. We want them to focus on their studies and do that. So those that have uh, children at home, sometimes the wife is working, sometimes the wife's got to take care of the kids. Uh, so it's just another way that we can support. So if you've got some used stuff, um, you know, instead of just giving it to Goodwill or sticking it in your raised trash container, uh, bring it up here to church. It's in decent shape, and I guarantee it'll, it'll go to good use, okay? So that deaconess will be here uh, next Sunday to kind of share, share with us a little bit about uh, how that works. And it's only two hours up the road, and we've got plenty of men with trucks and trailers if we need to load stuff up and take it up there, okay? Any questions on that? Okay, the next is still a public service announcement. Oh, wait, I got one more before I get to that one. Um, we are, uh, thank you for your sign-ups for the high school choir that is coming from Detroit. Um, right now, we have enough beds if we maximize the amount <laughs> that everybody has put. Some people have put one or two or two or three pairs. Uh, we would love to not have to max out every household. So if you've been thinking about whether to sign up, if you think you can take at least two, sign up on there. Um, two would be obviously easier than four. Then you got transportation stuff and all that. So if you're able to do that, we're going to start uh, slotting all those families here towards the end of this next week. You'll be receiving a phone call or an email from uh, 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 Mrs. Deb Trewartha, um, our assistant music director and uh, preschool um, uh, uh, principal. Uh, she's uh, kind of organizing that, and we'll let you know how many kids you're going to have so you can prepare. And uh, then we'll give you some more details about picking them up and getting them back to church. Okay, any questions on that? Good job, church. Thank you very much. Okay, the last one is a public service announcement. We, as both church and school, uh, have been asked by uh, not only uh, Boone County Health, but Indiana State Department of Health to share some information with you to make sure you have the correct facts about all. You know what this is. <laughs> Okay, um, but there's some, uh, some, some very interesting stuff. I made about 30 copies of this sheet. If any of you want this, they're up here with references. I'm just going to read through the first part of it. 
Most recently, the Centers for Disease Control gave a press conference updating the country on the current status of the coronavirus, hereafter called COVID-19, and what steps should be taken moving forward. We wanted to share with you some of the steps our church and school are taking to prevent the spread of illness across our campus and plan for the possible spread of the coronavirus in our community. As the CDC emphasized, and please note this, there is not currently a coronavirus pandemic in the United States. A pandemic occurs when a disease is spreading from a variety of sources across a large region, and the number of cases across the U.S. is still small. However, given how quickly the global situation is evolving, we are monitoring new developments and will continue to reevaluate our steps and actions daily. Uh, here's just statistics for you. Currently, as of March 5th, uh, for the coronavirus, COVID-19, approximately 97,000 worldwide, 209 cases in the U.S., uh, flu, this is influenza, 1 billion cases worldwide, 9.3 million to 45 million cases in the U.S. per year, okay? Uh, we've had influenza run through our house uh, already this year. Uh, deaths, scroll on down, COVID-19, approximately uh, 3,300 worldwide, 11 deaths in the U.S. Flu, 291,000 to 646,000 worldwide, 12,000 to 61,000 deaths in the U.S. per year. So make sure you get your facts straight uh, on all this stuff as well. Um, and part of the reason for sharing some of this with you is to make sure you don't fall into uh, what, Jesus warned, what Jesus warns us about unnecessary fear or speculation. Okay, scroll on down. In the meantime, the most effective way to stay healthy and minimize the spread of infectious diseases is to follow basic health practices like enforcing great hygiene, washing hands thoroughly, 15 to 20 seconds with soap and warm water, covering up coughs and sneezes, um, asking all members, faculty, staff, and students who are feeling ill or running a temperature to stay home until they recover. The rule of thumb for return is 24 hours without symptoms. Routine and thorough disinfecting and cleaning of commonly and often touched areas, such as doorknobs, desks, and tables. Uh, hard surfaces uh, are the main way that people uh, pick stuff up um, and through droplets from coughs. Uh, we are prepared to alter our procedures and planning here at Advent should the situation change. We are also thinking ahead regarding the impact activities and worship practices will have in the context of the coronavirus. We will communicate if any changes take place when the time is important. This last one is uh, uh, pay attention. It's important to remember that handling the spread of a serious contagion like the coronavirus is primarily a task for public health agencies. Any direct in directives from the WHO, CDC, or local government organization should be followed. Um, and so if you want to make sure you've got the correct information, some of these websites are down here for you. Go to cdc.gov. Uh, coronavirus, as well as uh, uh, Indiana State Department of Health. That's where you're going to get your most factual and up-to-date information. Okay. Uh, at the bottom, spring break is just ahead for many of us. Among others, uh, IU and Purdue have issued guidance. Sorry, Indiana Purdue fans, about your basketball losses yesterday. I was rooting for both of you. Um, I really was. Um, uh, guidance about spring break travel, and uh, here's from Indiana. Every person traveling for any reason from a level two or level three country must self-quarantine off campus for 14 days upon return to the U.S. Uh, today the list includes, uh, blah, 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 it doesn't read right, but new countries could be added any time, including when you're traveling. Purdue is there on the back of the sheet. In accordance with CDC guidelines, those who choose to travel to countries with a CDC level three travel advisory for coronavirus must self-quarantine for 14 days. So if you are planning on going out of the country for spring break or anytime soon, just make sure you're informed on what's going to be required for that, okay? Now, this is probably what you're most curious about regarding practices here at Advent Evangelical Lutheran Church and School. Here's what we are doing just so you know. Number one, daily cleaning of hard services by our janitorial staff. Instead of shaking hands, put your fist out, okay? Uh, or elbow bump as a greeting, okay? Uh, this next one now, are we, I have received as, as pastor, along with uh, one or two of our elders, a number of questions about this. So I want to address this briefly. For communion... And this, this has come up because now the Roman Catholic Church, this last week, is now withholding the chalice, withholding the blood of our Lord from everyone. They're going back to their prior 1980 practice of just giving it to the laity. And I want to debunk a little bit of that with statistics and facts. Uh, number one, the pastors disinfect their hands prior to serving. We've done that ever since I've been here. 
you'll see us with uh, disinfectant uh, on our hands. Uh, number two, individual glass cups are given a bleach bath and disinfected after use. Uh, three, the chalice, uh, if you choose to use the common cup, is made of silver. Uh, silver actually has been shown scientifically to have antiviral properties. That does not mean that it kills all the germs, it just means it battles against it. Uh, most importantly, the chalice is wiped after each use. You'll see us turning the chalice when we wipe it. That's actually the most important part of cleanliness with the chalice itself. There is obviously alcohol content in the wine that assists in limiting content, but it's obviously not going to going to kill everything, okay? Uh, studies have shown that the chalice is actually more sanitary. Some of you don't know this. If the above practices are followed, then individual cups, because individual cups um, are just glass, they also are handled by more people in terms of passing them out. Uh, and I've got some references to a number of studies on the bottom of that. Um, here's the short and simple with for you. There's germs everywhere, <laughs> okay? We're not going to get rid of germs. So if you're a fear-mongering type of person, you need to just I don't know, stay at home and live in a bubble or something, okay? So there are germs everywhere. Uh, we currently do as much as we can to limit and, and uh, take care of that. Should be noted, this is important, there has been no reports, and you can do a search on cdc.gov or other scientific website, of diseases being spread through use of the common cup or the individual cup. According to the CDC, and due to the properties of silver, alcohol, and content, and especially wiping the chalice, the risk actually is very, very minimal. You are more likely to catch something from touching a doorknob, shaking hands, or having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone infected than you are from taking communion. Okay? Our Lord himself mandated that we eat and drink his body and blood and the bread and wine. And while there will always be physical properties to the bread and wine, right? We eat and drink four things. <laughs> so the bread and wine, still there, <laughs> okay? Um, will always be physical properties. And think of those who have gluten or alcohol intolerance. We seek to minimize these physical concerns by practices, but not by withholding or ignoring our Lord's mandate and institution. In the sacrament, don't forget this, he gives us forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, okay? There's scientific references there for those of you that like to do research and digging. Um, that's all I have for public service announcement. Any questions or comments on that? Oh, yes, please, sir, in the back. I will. We're going to, this, I'm presenting to you kind of the rough draft. Our head elder and I have kind of been working through stuff the last few days. We're going to publicize this to the congregation here this week, but you're the, you're the first, uh, you're the turkeys I wanted to give it to first. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord will give you what you need. He is the Lord of life. Okay, and obviously also has conquered death, okay? So have no fear, little flock. The Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. So for me, I will continue to follow what the Lord has said to take and eat, take and drink. And as Pastor Grady so eloquently preached this morning, remember what he has done and receive that most blessed gift, okay? Any other comments? You guys are easy. I was thinking we might have a little going at everything here today. Okay, all right, that's good, okay. All right. You ready for Bible study? Let's do it. Thank you. The Lord be with you. O oh God, you see that of ourselves we have no strength. By your mighty power, defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We are on page 124 on the chapter, One Holy Church on Earth and in Heaven, continuing our study of Reverend uh, Professor Kurt Marquardt, The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People. We're going to pick up there on that uh, bottom section, The One Church and the Many Churches at Pentecost. At Pentecost, Christ launched His Holy Church. Within 300 years, it had conquered the mighty Roman Empire. Today, the church, obviously, as you well know, is split into many different factions, most of which seem more conquered than conquering in the face of modern cultural pressures. How can one square a divided and apparently retreating Christendom with the one holy Catholic and apostolic church confessed in the creed? Any answers to that, first of all, before I go on? How do we as a church, what's most important for us to do in the midst of cultural pressure? You see it in other denominations. Yeah. Keep doing what we're doing. Preach the word and minister the sacraments according to Christ's mandate and institution. Okay? Intuitively, 
the reunion of the separated Christian churches appears urgently necessary against all obstacles and at almost any cost. This urgent drive towards Christian reunion is embodied in the modern ecumenical movement, the chief institutional expression of which is the WCC, the World Council of Churches. The impact of this movement on all churches today cannot be overestimated. The important issues involved are best clarified by comparing the ecumenical movement's basic approach with that of the Reformation. We may begin with the famous sentence by one of the ecumenical movement's founding fathers, an Anglican, quote, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and sincerely regret that it does not at present exist. And that was the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, who lived 1881 to 1944. This suggests what may be called the apple pie theory of the church. The pie has come apart into many slices and slivers, and by themselves, none of these are the church. Only when all the pieces get put back together, again, will there truly be one Catholic Church. Now I'm going to pause there. What scripture pops to mind that would refute that? How about where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Okay. Luther even talks, uh, you know, uh, praise God, he says, that even a child knows where the church is, right? Uh, where, the, where the word is proclaimed in their baptism, in the breaking of bread, you know, in the preaching. So if putting everything together under one organizational roof becomes the top priority, it looms as almost inevitable that the means to this end will take some form of ecclesiastical bartering. Can you say this if we say that? Will you give this up if we give up that? It can hardly be surprising that theological statements arrived at this process prove stretchable enough to first to fit the broadest landscape. Okay? Now I want to take you back to 1997 and 1998. There was an um, effort by the Roman Catholic Church known as the Joint Declaration of Justification. Raise your hand if you've heard of that. Eh, just about a quarter of you. Okay? This was a really big deal. And um, matter of fact, uh, Reverend Dr. Dan Preuss did a lot of study on this, and, uh, and, and he uncovered the fact that the intent for the Roman Catholic Church to try and unify all the denominations, and they made an attempt, by the way, with the Missouri Synod. We were one of the few denominations that did not sign that document. The intent of the Roman Catholic Church was to evangelize and bring all the other denominations under the church because there is no salvation outside of the church. So if you are not connected, signed on with the Roman Catholic Church, you're outside of salvation. Okay? And, uh, and Dr. Preuss did a really good job identifying that. Now, this joint declaration of justification was, was weak and was wrong. Matter of fact, uh, the Pope, uh, when he made a, a special trip over here at the time to the United States, uh, swung through St. Louis. Okay, um, And at the time, for all the Catholics in the world, um, he was offering a special indulgence. It was a year of Jubilee. Any of you remember that? Now, this was about three years before I started seminary, and uh, I was in uh, sales and management for our family business at the time. And I remember going out to a customer's house, and uh, as I rang the doorbell, I saw off to the side this nice plaque with a papal seal. And it was hung right outside the door. And so rang the doorbell, and I don't remember their name. You know, let's just call them Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you know, came to the door. And, you know, hi, I'm, I'm Marcus McKay from Woodland Studios. Oh, yeah, good to, good to have you here. I said, this is very curious. Can you tell me what this plaque is? I haven't seen anything like that before. You know, I'm just making small talk, being, being polite, right? And they said, oh, yes, this is a special indulgence we have been granted by the Pope himself. And so, we are covered. <laughs> Our whole family, we are guaranteed to not spend any time in purgatory. Not only that... Our whole, house, our whole house and our property is blessed, and, and we want to invite you in. They were so excited about this, right? What's that? I don't know. I didn't ask that question. <laughs> I didn't think that was polite. <laughs> I, you know, I know I have a hard time holding my tongue sometimes, but I, I, was, I, was, I was trying to make a sale as well, right? Uh, and it ended up, I ended up taking them for a good amount of money, but that, you know, we could... <laughs> 
don't quote me on that. Um, and uh, but yeah, so I, so you know this whole indulgence thing. This actually still goes on, by the way. Don't think that indulgences are just 500 years ago. Okay, that still takes place in the Roman Catholic Church. So long story short, Pope comes through St. Louis and. Uh, you know, they get a hold of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate inter- international headquarters there on the south side of town on inter- Interstate 44. And uh, president at the time was uh, uh, Pastor uh, Dr. A. L. Berry. Uh, and uh, you know, would you like to come have an audience with the Pope? Nope. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. You know, and that that man now rests from his labors in heaven, awaiting the resurrection. Resurrection. I love him for that. I love that he was not going to give any attention. Um, yeah, the Pope is not just a religious leader. He's also a little bit of a leader in the world. But Dr. Barry did not want to give any impression of supporting this nonsense that was going around. Okay? They even had a gathering, besides having a private audience, they had a gathering with all the heads of the church, heads of various denominations that came in and met with them. Okay? We as the Missouri Synod did not go. Okay? Now, I would say yes, okay? because the intent and what they had published was absolutely incorrect um, and was false. And so to not give any credence to any of that at all, right? Um, you know, so, uh, so, so this, this stuff that Professor Marquardt is, is writing about, I mean, and still takes place, you know, today, right? Uh, let's gather together with all the churches, you know, and for the most part, you know, what we do as Missouri Synod, you know, we certainly will gather and do stuff with social work. You know, you think of Lutheran child and family services, okay, and caring for the poor, uh, the widowed, and the orphan, but we're also very cautious, <laughs> okay, uh, because there still are other false teachings and things we would say are even of more importance, and that would be the Word of God on certain issues, okay? Comments or questions? Okay, all right. So if putting everything under one, yeah, I already did that one, right? Can you say this? Okay. Luther's approach. Luther's approach stands out as totally different. For him, the church was not an organization, but an organism. As a part of the mystery of Christ, the church shares in the Lord's hiddenness. In the creed, we, uh, we, we confess not, I see one holy Christian church, but, say it with me, I believe one holy Christian church. So faith believes what it does not see on the basis of God's word. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Only believers are saints, that is holy in Christ, and the church consists only of such saints or believers. And you can see St. Paul's salutations, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Ephesians 1 verse 1. Um, and let's look up at least Ephesians 2.21. Can we do that real quick? Look up the Bible here a little bit. No? Oh, he's in the bathroom. Okay. You have to look it up on your own then. <laughs> the one time he goes to the bathroom. Only God can look into a human heart to see whether or not faith is there, correct? We humans cannot be sure who really is a believer, therefore a member of the church, and who is not. So for us, the church remains in this life an article of faith, not of sight. So we believe one holy church, correct? Even though what we see is division, sin, and the full range of human behavior from the altruistic to the cantankerous, right? I was talking with a, a, a brother pastor, uh, retired not long ago, and I asked him uh, what he missed most about being a pastor. And uh, his comment simply <laughs> to me, uh, we talked about a number of different things, said, I'll tell you what I don't miss. I don't miss voters' meetings. Now, why would a pastor ever say that? Do you know? Yeah, you probably do because, you know, uh, well, okay, to be fair, seven, eight out of ten voters' meetings are, are pretty good. Yeah, they could be a little long. But every now and then you get one or two where someone's got a burr under their saddle uh, or things are done incorrectly or improperly. And, and you know, for the pastors, just, it's just a lot of extra work. <laughs> And, and heartache and stress, right? Um, sometimes there's difficult topics that have to be addressed, okay? Uh, think of the difficult topics perhaps between you and your wife or your husband that uh, you try not to talk about. You know you need to sometimes, but you know you tread very carefully around certain topics. Or perhaps with your kids or your coworkers 
or your friends, okay? For us, however, there is an even larger picture as believers and as being part of the church, okay? And that's what Luther is getting at as well as Marquardt. So we believe one holy church, even though what we see is division, sin, and the full range of human behavior from the altruistic to the cantankerous. Concealed beneath the cross and human frailties and offenses, the church is a high, deep, and hidden thing. It may neither be perceived nor seen, but can be grasped only by faith. Like the, other Christ, like the other Christian mysteries, the church lies inaccessible to human reason, however many spectacles reason may wear, right? So can you see the body and blood of Jesus there in the bread and the wine? Can you see that? Can you see the baptismal robes that people wear, okay, as they are baptized? You can't see any of that, okay? How do you know they're there? The Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, because God says so, okay? Uh, same thing I would say with the Lord's Supper, okay? Why will I continue to, to take the Lord's Supper even in the midst of crazy coronavirus and influenza? Jesus has told me to, and he said that's good for me. And so, yeah, there's germs everywhere, and I may get sick at some point, maybe not from that, maybe from something else, but what's the promise? He's going to care for me. Okay? So I'm going to follow his word okay? and not rely just on you know, rationalism or human reason. Okay? Comments before we move on? Okay. Luther's biblical evangelical understanding of the church differs markedly from the modern ecumenical approach. Clearly, no one visible organization, least of all the entity called the Lutheran church, can be equated with the one holy Christian church. Right? And so that's where we also have to be careful, you know, <laughs> when, when we get to heaven, the place where we will await the resurrection and wait from our labors, um, there will be other people than Missouri Synod Lutherans there. Did you know that? Yeah, a lot more. Okay. First of all, Missouri Synod has only existed for 150 years. <laughs> so you've got now, you know, six, 7,000 years, depending on how old uh, you date uh, the world and the number of people that have lived and died um, that had faith, like Abraham, like Enoch, and like all the rest of those who wouldn't have known anything about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but who had the same faith that you've been given. Okay. Um, and so we have, to, we have to remember that. But even if all the bits and pieces could be put together again, under the chairmanship, say, of the Bishop of Rome, the resulting commonwealth of churches would still not form the one church of Christ, right? Um, and right around that year of Jubilee, 97-98, with the joint declaration, there was a huge, huge PR campaign. I don't know if you remember it. There were television commercials, there were ads in all the major magazines back then, Time, Newsweek, uh, for you younger folks, this is before the internet exploded, right? So people are still reading all the print resources. And it was, it was straight out of Rome. And, and, and the tagline was, come home to the church. Remember that? And so they have these little vignettes, these little advertising things about families getting together, you know, and come home, right? So, so, the, so the, 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 the whole underlying thing was, if you really want to be at home in your faith, you need to go where? Back to the Roman church right? Join the Roman church, okay? Don't fall into that, okay? Be careful and make sure that you understand what the church is in terms of word and sacrament and where Christ promises to be, okay? Um, so, sometimes, well, let's see, uh, whoa, whoa, did I jump too far ahead? Yeah, I did, sorry, I jumped the page. But even if all the bits and pieces could be put together again under the chairmanship, say, of the Bishop of Rome, the resulting commonwealth of churches would still not form the one church of Christ. Instead, this one church remains hidden within all the external bodies in which enough of the gospel and sacraments get through to enable the Holy Spirit to work faith and thus to give birth to Christians and to the church. This church is already one, just as Christ is one. So two difficulties appear to arise at this, per, at, this, at this point. Maybe you're thinking about these in your head. First, if the church can nowhere be seen, how then can anyone find it? Fair question for Marquardt? I think so. Second, if Christians are more or less in all churches, and this is the big one, 
then what difference does it make to which church one belongs, right? Yeah, I know my fill-in-the-blank, you know, children, brother, sister, you know, best friend, whatever. I know they're not in the, in the Missouri Synod anymore, right? They were confirmed, but, but at least they're in a church. Have you said that or heard that before? At least they're going to church somewhere. Okay, so he's going to address that. So you're probably going to get ants in your pants here uh, when he gets at, at a, you know, how we should think through that. Okay, now both of these difficulties must be referred must be referred to a crucial reality. Quote and read it with me: the marks of the church. On these marks, everything depends here. So although the church eludes human wisdom, read it with me. Thank God a seven-year-old child knows what the church is, namely, holy believers and sheep who hear the voice of their shepherd. Now, these words of Luther from the small called articles refer to the Savior's speech in St. John 10. Let's read it together. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. They, too, will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. So to find the flock, we must look for the shepherd. First and foremost, look for the shepherd. More precisely, we must listen for his voice. If we try to find the sheep directly or look for the largest numbers or the best qualities of the sheep, quite likely we will be deceived by sheep's clothing. Only the shepherd's voice is reliable. It comes to us only in his holy gospel, including the sacraments. Therefore, these holy means of grace are called the marks of the church. Okay? This is why in the early days of the Missouri Synod, uh, Walther and Winnikin, um, basically, you know, Walther's first president of the Missouri Synod, Winnikin is basically the first president of the seminary. Um, so they're trying to drum up support. Apologize if you've heard this story before. So they travel to Germany. They're in great need of support for our new synod. Okay, they especially need pastors. Okay, and not just pastors, but financial support to do all that. So they start traveling around Germany, and uh, and they go from church to church to church to church. Okay. And, and one of the big things that Walther and Winnikin write about is trying to decide, do we take communion at this church or not? And so they meet with the pastor ahead of time, or they wait until after the sermon, uh, you know, to kind of hear what is preached. They observe the worship practices. Is the voice of Christ there? You know, is this church, are these people following what Christ had said? Okay. And unfortunately, they write, a lot of times, it wasn't. And they said... <laughs> You know, as much as it would be nice to have the money from them, we're just going to move on. <laughs> we'll, we'll sit here silently. Okay, what were they looking for? What were they looking for? The church. Okay. Of course, they found a lot of things because of the, the, the Prussian Union back uh, 1817-ish. You know, that, uh, you know, in, in Germany, the, the, the state basically took over control of the churches is the easiest way to explain it. And so, you know, you, you could have a, you know... <laughs> Uh, uh, a Baptist church, if you will, or even a Presbyterian church that you get assigned, you know, a different pastor. <laughs> so a Lutheran church could get someone, a pastor who didn't necessarily believe in baptism or the real presence. It was just kind of a real free-for-all, okay? Um, now some churches managed to kind of, you know, stay above the fray in some of that, but it, it, was, it was really difficult. And that was the reason that, uh, at least in the Missouri City, uh, uh, some of our uh, forefathers uh, uh, came over. Um, and for that reason, some chose to stay to continue to fight the battle, okay? Uh, but uh, how do I know the church is here? Is the gospel being preached? Do I hear in the sermon about my sins and that Christ has forgiven them? Do I see in the sacrament uh, the following of Christ's mandate and institution? Do I see a reverence for that, um, you know, liturgy and all those other things, okay? Questions or comments? Okay, now where am I at? Therefore, is that right? Only the shepherd's voice is reliable. Comes to us in his holy gospel, including the sacraments. Therefore, these holy means of grace are called the marks of the church. Where they are found, the church is found. For these means or marks are her sure foundation. And since our um, keyboard master, let's go to Ephesians 2.20. 
I'm going to have you go to Galatians 1, 8 to 9. And let's read Ephesians 2.20 together. So we have some scripture that speaks exactly to this. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's go. Let's go to verse 19. So then you are no longer stranger and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, uh, What's the foundation? Apostles and prophets. And, and this, at its most base level, is Old and New Testament. Okay, um, But it's also, it's also more than that. Um, it, it's what has been passed down. It's, it's the pattern of, of sound words. Uh, it is, as we talked about, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, it is, quote, the, the divine service of God uh, to his people, uh, as started uh, back at Mount Sinai with Moses, fulfilled by Christ, and now commanded and continued by him in word and sacrament, continued by the apostles themselves, okay? Uh, so we need, we need to pay attention to that, okay? So it's not when you're when you hear people talk about, you know, you need to uh, ignore what, you know, has been passed down or we need to start fresh, or when you hear this phrase, we need to do church differently, okay? I, f- I fell into that deep rut <laughs> really hard as, as a young man, okay, uh, prior to seminary. Uh, I truly believe that the church was going to have to change to fit the culture. Uh, and then the more I studied and as I was confronted by pastors and teachers, I found out that... Uh, the church is, is, has always been the same, <laughs> okay? Um, and so, uh, you know, to retain that, uh, those teachings uh, and practices, uh, and, and it all comes down to that word and sacrament, okay? So that was a little bit of a revelation for me, okay? Any comments there? Any falsification of Christ's gospel counterfeits his voice, is destructive, and has no rights in the church. Let's go to Galatians 1, 8 to 9 and read that together. You're a little slow today, son. I know you were sick this last week and you're healthy now, so. Okay. Here we go. Okay, let's read together. Eight and nine. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Say, wow. So when you read sermons in the Bible, you know, uh, Peter's sermon's pretty good, uh, right right kind of at at, at the beginning there of of Acts, and and we we have examples of that, Paul's exhortations and admonitions, okay? How does what we're hearing from our pulpit here at Advent compare to that? Does it line up? Does it match up? Okay. We as pastors would hope so. We work really hard at, at making sure that what we preach and teach is in accordance with Holy Scripture. So as you travel around to other churches, you know, you might get an email from somebody, you know, a coworker or a family member that's non-Lutheran. Oh, you know, this pastor or <laughs> pastor <laughs> preached a really good sermon or a really good message, right? You know, and, 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 you, and you listen to it. And you're like, I don't know about that. What do you have to compare it to? What's your benchmark? You go back to Scripture, right? And you look at that. And that's, that's where we get with law and gospel. That's where Paul talks over and over again. I had a, had a lady once uh, who, uh, this was, has, has been some years, Pastor, it really bothers me that you talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper so much. Matter of fact, she said, I'm not sure I've ever heard you preach a sermon without referencing baptism or the Lord's Supper. And she goes, you place way too much emphasis on that. And she was, she was deadly serious. And so I just said, well, can we open our Bibles? <laughs> you know, and, and we did that. What do the apostles reference over and over again? What do they talk about? You know, why is that important for you to hear? Because you're a sinner. You know, connections to be made. Okay. 
Um, and, uh, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of, well, it's kind of the same message every Sunday. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> it really kind of is. Okay? All right. Comments? Anything you want to throw? You're good. All right. Okay, let's go back. Two distinctions. Two distinctions must be made. Distinction A is between the church in the strict or proper sense, the association of faith and of the Holy Spirit in men's hearts, and the church in the wide or larger sense, comprising the outward gathering around particular pulpits, fonts, and altars, and that is called the association of outward ties and rites. Sometimes the church in the strict sense, and this is how probably many of you were taught in confirmation, the invisible church, nod your heads if you've heard kind of this distinction, the invisible church, and the outward gathering about the marks is termed the visible church, so invisible and visible. If this terminology is used, however, one must be careful not to suggest that there are two churches, one visible and one not. There is only one church of which we speak in different respects, either in a stricter or a looser sense, okay? So Roman Catholicism, at least until Vatican II, and that's, that's late 1950s, early 1960s, declined to make distinction A. It simply identified the church with the visible institution headed by the papacy, right? And that's why, uh, you know, when I, this house that I told you about back in 97, 98 that I went into, they had the papal seal indulgence thing posted outside their home. Um, I go inside and, and they had a little, you know, almost like a little altar, just like you might have in your home, uh, you know, with candles and crucifix and hanging above it was a picture of, yeah, not Jesus. <laughs> There's the Pope, right? So they knew they were part of the church because of the Pope, right? And now just kind of think through that. You know, how, 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 how sad, you know, that is, okay? Um, and even, even in St. Louis, and I assume Indianapolis probably not too different in some ways, you know, you, you always knew when you were in Roman Catholic neighborhoods, if you had a Roman Catholic house, because they would always have a little statute outside their door with Mary and the child, okay? Now, in and of itself, I got no problems with that. We, we should honor and we should, you know, connect and, and do that. But for them... It's more than that. For a true Roman Catholic, Mary is your intercessor. Mary is your access to the Son. Thus, you are taught to pray at a very young age the rosary. Okay? That's why, I'm sorry, I don't allow Ave Maria at weddings that I perform. It's beautiful music, but do you know what the words are saying? Who's the prayer to? You picking up what I'm laying down? I'm sorry if that offends you, but this is part of understanding where the church is and how we have access to God. You have access through Jesus Christ. It's to Him we are to pray, okay? Now, the Holy Spirit, of course, intercedes with words and groanings, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we don't trust in other saints to help us or to bring our prayers to God uh, or even to the point that they can save us or rescue us. Which actually, if you read your Roman Catholic doctrine, sorry to bash the Roman Catholics today, but Mary is now identified as a co-redemptrix, feminine uh, ending, that she is a co-redeemer with Christ, okay? Uh, and that's absolute nonsense, okay? Now, some of your Catholic friends may or may not realize that, okay? So as you talk with them, um, you know, have some of those conversations, okay? Uh, be gentle in the spirit, Okay? Don't sound like I do in Bible class. Uh, you know, talk. Uh, you know, work through some of those things. Pull out your Bibles. Okay? And so they were, for, and for some Roman Catholics, I found it's just kind of a culture of how they were raised. Right? They just kind of grew up with that. Okay? That's no different than Missouri Synod Lutherans who, you know, when asked the question, you know, why do you use the liturgy? They have no answer for that because that's the way we always did it. You should know why we use it. Why do you take the Lord's Supper every Sunday? You should know the answer to that. If you don't, I would urge you to study a little bit of that, right? So you can understand, you know, some of those practices. Teach that to your kids as well, okay? Okay, now I've got you all squirming in your seats. Um, where are we at here? The, okay, so 
So Roman Catholicism, at least till Vatican II, declined to make distinction A. It simply identified the church with the visible institution headed by the papacy, right? Picture of Pope, you know, perhaps Statue of Mary. Reformed Calvinist theology, on the other hand, virtually separates invisible church from the visible church. The Calvinist invisible church consists only of those predestined to salvation, so it cannot be, quote, discernible by any signs or marks, and that's straight out of the Geneva Catechism. While the visible church is understood as a law-enforcing institution, in contrast to both of these approaches to the church, the Lutheran church makes distinction A. She distinguishes between the church in the strict and in the wide sense, yet she does not separate them into two churches. You picking that up? Thus, we maintain that even in, you know, a Trinitarian, Presbyterian, Baptist, Reformed, even in the Roman Catholic Church, there are who? Christians. There are saints. Okay? Um, so, so, and, and so you'll, you'll hear sometimes people find out you're Missouri Synod, and the first thing, oh, you're the only ones going to heaven. Oh, <laughs> right. If I had a nickel every time I heard that from someone, um, you know, so, and that, that, that's not the case at all, okay? So, since the means of grace are the sole instruments through which God creates believers, the church in the strict sense can exist only within the matrix of the church as, quote, an association of outward ties and rights. Now, with this point, we can address the first difficulty noted above, namely, how to find the church, like Walther and Winnikin, or maybe like you went through the process before you landed here at Advent, okay? Where's the church, okay? Uh, where is it? So, the church's marks show where the church is. Far from being empty or inert signposts, though, the marks of the church are faith-creating means of grace. They are marks not simply of some secondary visible church, but of the one holy church herself. Now, not all churches, however, have the same relation to the marks of the church. Hence, our second vital distinction, distinction B, between orthodox, which is right preaching, and heterodox, other teaching churches. The pure marks of the church, that is the purely taught gospel and the rightly administered sacraments, document for us the orthodox church. Impurity of these marks documents heterodoxy. So it is important to see not only what is meant here, but also what is not meant. Belonging to an Orthodox church does not mean that one is a better Christian than others. Say amen to that because you need to, you need to get that. Let me say it one more time. Where'd it go? That was a good sentence. <laughs> no, I lost all that. I, I was getting in the preacher mode there, getting you riled up. See, that doesn't work all the time. The pure <laughs> What is wrong with my eyes? Belonging to an Orthodox church, thanks for putting up with me, does not mean that one is a better Christian than others. Okay? Again, calling a church heterodox does not mean that there are no real Christians in it, or that these Christians are less sincere or devout than Orthodox Christians, whom they may often surpass in love, joy, peace, and the like. So if Orthodox and Heterodox churches both include good and bad, sincere Christians and hypocrites, why fuss about the difference? Right? And I've had I've had brother I've had this discussion with brother LCMS pastors. All right? That we're on two opposite ends of the Missouri Synod spectrum. And they basically said this. Why fuss about the difference? Okay? Marquardt's going to answer that. So we now find ourselves. Oh, whoop. If salvation may be found in most churches, does it not amount to a petty purism to insist on orthodoxy? We now find ourselves at the second difficulty mentioned earlier, what difference it makes to belong to one church or, or another. Okay, And I want to get through at least two paragraphs here before we're done. Let us turn to a thought experiment. Imagine an old-fashioned kerosene lamp. Let the lamp be filled with kerosene, and it will, of course, burn brightly. Now suppose that as the kerosene level falls, we bring it back to its formal level by pouring in sand, tea leaves, coffee grounds, and similar things. Will the lamp still burn? What do you think? Of course, so long as enough kerosene is able to reach the wick. Now this appearance may mislead a superficial observance, for it may seem that sand and tea leaves work just as well as kerosene. Of course, the lamp keeps burning not because of such additives, but in spite of them. You can see where he's going with this? It burns only because of whatever kerosene remains. 
Substitute gospel for kerosene and the analogy explains itself. There is only, read it with me, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Holy Spirit works the very same faith in all Christians and He does so through the same gospel truth. He never works through error. Where false teachings intrude themselves, there is set up a counterforce which stands in competition and conflict with true spirit work faith and poses a threat to it. Okay? Now we're going to stop there. So yesterday, remember the old Triumph motorcycle I told you about that my dad hadn't started it since last fall? And so the first thing I did was unscrew the gas cap to the tank. And what did I do? Why did I smell the gas? Yeah, and I had put some stable in it, you know, a year ago or whatever. But I just wanted to make sure bad gas smells bad, right? Um, and uh, now, if I had bad gas in it, what would I do? Not dump it out on the ground, okay? What's the best way to take bad, to do with bad gas? Put in tea leaves and sand. No, that is not the correct answer. Put tea leaves in my motorcycle. Seriously? What do you need to add, you know, if you've, if you've, if you've, as long as you've got a small percentage of it, what they say with, 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 with gas that's, that's bad, is you can get rid of it by adding it to good gas. Did you know that? As long as it's not too much. Yeah, you can. As long as it's not, you know, if it's rusty and stuff, that gets to be a little different. But if you've got gas that's just a little old, Okay, so, uh, the, so the best thing to do would be to take a couple gallons out of that tank, add it to the 30-gallon tank on my truck, and probably would be able to burn right through it, no problem. Okay, but if I left that in there, if I left it untreated, if I didn't put good gas in it, what would be the problem if it stays that way? It's not going to run. So you need the infusion, you need the good stuff, right, that is, is right and that is pure. Okay, and you want to get rid of the bad stuff completely. Okay, enough of that analogy. I think you're picking up what Marquardt is laying down. Questions? Have another donut on your way out. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Thanks for your attention today. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.